Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right, welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie, and I'm excited today to have Michael Reynolds. He's the president and CEO at SpinWeb on the podcast. Michael, how you doing, man? Doing great. How about you, Gray? I am doing very well. It's raining here in Pittsburgh. It's not the nicest day, but uh, but here too, actually, we had some rain too. So uh, I think our weather is probably similar. Yep. And Michael, do you want to share with everyone where you guys are located? Sure. Yeah, we were in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Nice. There's a. There seems to be there's these hot spots of inbound marketing agencies, HubSpot partners all around the country, and Indianapolis seems to be one of those hot spots. It's true. I've noticed that. We have uh, quite a bit of marketing and tech here. We have a lot of good inbound agencies. We have a lot of tech startups as well. And uh, as our listeners probably know, Salesforce uh, recently acquired Exact Target and came into the space here. So we have a lot of marketing and tech happening here. So I'm really excited about that. Yep, for sure. Well, Michael, let's start off with your story. And I'll let you, I'll let you kind of go as far as you want. But I'd love to hear two parts of the story. One is your personal story and then the spin web story. And obviously anytime that you are leading an organization, those two things are very intimately intertwined. Yeah, they're pretty blended. <laughs> so, but, but let's start off with your story. Okay. Well, I never know how to answer those questions very well because it's such a big, broad, huge question. Like what's my story in 40 sure years is. of you know, being on this <laughs> earth. So I'll try to condense it and keep it uh, pretty simple and keep it mostly toward business because that's our topic today. But, uh, yeah, I, I grew up in uh, Indiana and uh, I went to Ball State for school and uh, studied architecture for a while. And I discovered I hated drawing. And if you're an architect, uh, you know, if you hate drawing, that's kind of a problem. Not so. ideal. <laughs> so I uh, I uh, switched. I also majored in music. Now, uh, what's this college. about? What's this about the cello performance? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was uh, going to mention that I uh, I play the cello and I majored in music in uh, college. And I actually have a degree in cello performance, and I played in the Muncie Symphony for a while. I was at Ball State, and I used to play a lot of gigs here and there, chamber music, string quartets, et cetera. So now I just play here and there for you know uh, stuff in church, things like that, holidays. So yeah, I still kind of keep it up, but uh, that was a that was a lot of fun. So that was that was kind of my fun degree, my wow. fun path of study. And then I thought, well, I should probably get something a little more. Um, I guess, practical uh, as far as a degree goes. So I got a, a business degree as well from Ball State in information systems. And while I was at Ball State, that's actually when I started SpinWeb. Uh, a friend and I who lived uh, in the same building, uh, we were teaching ourselves HTML back in 96-ish. Uh, yeah, 96, I believe, is when it was, when the web was kind of becoming a thing. And we were like, okay, we're going to teach ourselves HTML, this new fancy thing, and build web pages and of all things, we put flyers around campus on paper, <laughs> and that got us our first client. So our wow. first client was a Ball State professor, and he asked us to put his class online via a website. So we built that and reinvested money back in the business, and we were a kind of a um, traditional web shop for a while, and then grew over the course of the last 19 years. Uh, into a true digital agency with a lot of enterprise web solutions and inbound marketing as our our service. So that's kind of the 
what I would consider the short summary of SpinWeb and, and my my background. Right. So starting off with HTML back in, so is the did the business start in '96? It did. Okay, that's awesome. So then, has it been has web been at the core that whole time, or was there any other? You guys are um, HubSpot partners now, um, but what's what's kind of been the evolution? Have there been other kind of tangential services that have that have um, stemmed off from the business, or has it been web at the core of of SpinWeb since '96? Uh, web has been at the core primarily. We've had other initiatives. We have a really strong development team in-house, and not just front-end development, but back-end development as well. So that has actually always been a pretty um, strong part of our team is back-end development. So that's one thing that really helps us in the enterprise web space because a lot of other agencies, you know, they will go to a, a larger company or a highly regulated company, like maybe in healthcare or finance or uh, government, and you know, we'll be able to handle projects like that because we can write custom applications and write custom integrations and handle a lot of the in-house stuff that those enterprise organizations need. So that's been a really uh, um, kind of differentiating point uh, through SpinWeb here is, is that in-house development. And right. then we got really serious about inbound marketing about five or six years ago and jumped on board with HubSpot and really, really just jumped into inbound marketing at that point. Got it. So, Michael, is... It- I guess the bulk of the business today, is it more one-off website projects or is it more web leading into or as part of inbound marketing engagements? It's a pretty healthy mix. We have a lot of enterprise web. We have you know, hospitals we work with. We have banks and credit unions. We have large nonprofits, government. So those are pretty core to us still, but more and more we're seeing a shift where organizations are starting to realize that they can't just build a website and launch it and hope that the rainbows and unicorns you know, fall from the sky and all the leads come in. They have to actually do something with it. So more and more, it's exciting that we're seeing that organizations are asking about inbound marketing, asking about lead generation, asking about a continuous process to really make that website an effective tool for the organization. So we're, we're seeing a big shift. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So, I mean... W- I'd love to focus this conversation around how your team has grown, the lessons that you've learned managing a team and scaling a business um, over the last 19 years here. So could you kind of start us off by helping us understand when you originally started hiring or growing the team? Were those people uh, employees, contractors? How'd you think about that? How'd you know when to hire? How'd you know who to hire? Um, What did that transitional period look like when it went from just you and a partner in at, at Ball State to other people on board and this being a full-time thing? Well, gosh, I'm not sure my answer is going to be terribly useful because we were not very smart back then and we just kind of hired based on our gut. Yep. <laughs> we just kind of said, well, we need a designer. <laughs> let's, let's go find the designer. So we, you know, we did and we didn't really have the money. We just kind of hoped for the best and you know, we just kind of made stuff up as we went along. So back then, we had no system. I mean, this was back in the 90s. We, you know, we just kind of said, well, you know, it looks like the work is coming in and Looks like we need somebody, so let's give it a shot. And we would uh, hire people full-time, sometimes contractors, sometimes part-time, just kind of based on what our gut feeling was about workload. So that was back then. Now we have a a much, much better system for that. I don't know if you want to get into that yet, but like I said, back then it was kind of just seat of our pants. But you know, now we're, uh, we've grown to – right now we're 10 people, so we've actually grown and contracted a bit over the, the two decades, right. as a lot of agencies do. They, they grow for a while and, and then maybe kind of right-size and then kind of regrow again and uh, evolve. And so we're starting to be on the cusp of another growth pattern mm-hmm. where 
you know, we're taking on bigger and bigger clients. We're taking on more of them. We're taking on more of the right types of clients for us. And so we're kind of on the cusp of, of some growth here. Um, so yeah, as far as, uh, how we hire now, it's, it's much different than it was back then. Nice. So what, do, what does that hiring process look like? You're at 10 people right now when the 11th person or 12th or however many, however many more folks, um, are coming on during this hopefully upcoming growth. What is that hiring process going to look like? Well, we're pretty fortunate that we historically have never had problems finding great people. And we're going to talk about that during this conversation, I know. But a lot of that is due to the environment we've set up here at SpinWeb. And so it's pretty easy for us to find a, a good uh, pool of people that would love to work for us. And so we, you know, we're able to really uh, be pretty picky, I think, and find just the right people for our culture. And so we have a pretty good process. We first, um, we set up a, you know, a landing page in typical inbound fashion. We set up this landing page online uh, with the job description and take applications and share that via social media. And then we uh, do what I call five-minute um, uh, spot interviews via phone. So we call people up that look strong, and we'll just kind of catch them off guard by phone uh, because we like to see how people react when they're kind of called out of the blue without really prepping for it. You know, can they think on their feet? Um, can they communicate well, et cetera? So we'll just call them up and just say, hey, just want to check in, see, see what you thought about the position, get a little bit of background information. And then if they seem like they're um, the right people to kind of go to the next step, then we'll go to either video conference or in-person interviews. And then we'll do a contract project for probably the top three or four. And we will actually pay them for our project and we'll have them do some work for us so we can kind of test drive them and get to know them and have them test drive us as well. So I'm a really big believer in paying someone for contract work as part of the interview before you commit to hiring them full time. Awesome. So, and then out of that top three or four, I assume you're picking, Hey, here's the person who seems to be the best fit for the organization um, and move forward from there. Yeah, we are. Awesome. And I'm kind of simplifying. I mean, there's, there's steps in between. We have a pretty good process, but I'm kind of giving you the high level touch. Right. Right. That makes sense. So we are right now at, at do inbound we're hiring and the spot interview idea um, is something that I haven't come across before. Where did that idea come from or um, kind of what, how did that get started? That actually came from, I believe, my sales coach. We uh, work with a, a sales training company called Lucian uh, here in Indianapolis. They're a Sandler training company. Okay. Yep. And that was something they shared with us. They said, hey, you know, call people up. And what most people do is they just take a bunch of resumes and they have a bunch of people come in for interviews and they take a ton of time with hour-long interviews with 10, you know, 15, 20 people and just sucks up your whole, you know, month, so to speak. And so what he recommended was just, hey, let's, you know, have an intermediate step where you call people up and, and get the basics that you need. You can tell in five minutes if you want to keep talking to that person. And that really whittles down the, the very best people that you want to, you know, honor with an in-person interview at that point. So it's really a time saver as well. For sure. The other thing on the other end of that process, Michael, the contract project, I think that's something, uh, I think it's starting to catch on and more and more people are going to that, but that's something that's been invaluable for us and we're going through that process right now, hiring, um, bringing on some developers and just walking people through, hey, we're going to pay you and we're going to ask for real work. This is going to be a real work environment and we're going to get a feel for what this looks like to work together. And I think that's yeah. a, that's something that um, would be we've done it the other way where we've just brought people on and said, okay, we're going to 
we'll, we'll hire you. Then we'll, then we'll figure out what it's like to work together. Um, and that's, yeah, not, I like that. I think successful. it's, I think it's really important that you pay people to, I know some agencies or some companies will ask someone to do a project for them as part of the interview and they won't pay them. And, you know, there's always, you know, arguments to both sides of that, but I really believe in paying people for that work. Right. I think that shows respect and I think you're going to get better work and a real, a better sense of how they work as well. So I think it's really important that you pay for that project. Yeah. I think trying to just simulate what's, what's the real life environment going to be like, we're not going to be asking you to work for free when you're working here. So I think paying people right from the beginning uh, does exactly what you said, which just shows a level of respect that hopefully is going to be reflective of the way that you treat them uh, when they're there as well. So I like that approach for sure. Um, so you mentioned not having a problem finding good people, and I think that a lot of that stems from culture. So I'm wondering if you could maybe first describe uh, – tell us how you would describe the culture – Cultures is a hard thing, at least for me, to verbalize or vocalize. But how do you describe the culture at SpinWeb? Sure. Well, culture means different things to different people. And so uh, I think you're going to probably get a lot of different perspectives on this. But to me, uh, I mean, culture is how your work environment is set up and how people feel when they're there and you know what, what drives their motivation and how well they work together. And so for us, culture is based on freedom. A lot. I mean, that's really the. If I could pick one word that defines our culture, it's it's freedom, and it really stemmed about uh, from about eight years ago. We started exploring something called the results only work environment, and it's Roe for short, R L W E. And we read about it. Uh, I think it was in Wired magazine. There was an interview with uh, Callie Ressler and Jody Thompson, who were two individuals from um, Best Buy Corporation, and they launched their own consulting firm. And they developed a system called Row, which is kind of a guideline of how organizations can work in a more modern age. And we've based a lot of our culture on that. I think we've gone you know, further than that now, but we've based a lot of our culture on that. And the baseline of that is freedom. And freedom means literally anybody in our company can work whenever they want and wherever they want and however they want as long as the work is getting done. That's really the bottom line. And that sounds good on paper, but a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, our company's like that, when it's really not. They kind of have flexible work schedules and a flex time, and you still have to kind of ask permission for stuff, and you still have to kind of check in, and there's still judgment about how people spend their time here and there. But really, you know, we have focused on a very pure form of this, which means, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, at 2 o'clock, if they decide, you know, they're just tired of working, uh, they're not you know, really getting anywhere, they're not feeling productive, they can go to the park or go pick up their kids and go, you know, do something fun or go to a movie or go shopping or something. They can just go and do it without asking permission or telling anyone or, or whatever. And knowing that later on they're going to be refreshed and, and back in the zone and they're going to get their work done. And so as long as the work is getting done, as long as clients are happy, as long as everyone is productive and we're moving forward, it shouldn't matter what hours someone fills a chair, or even if they do fill that chair in that location, as opposed to working from home or from a coffee shop. And so we have complete freedom. When you work here, you are expected to be in control of your own time. We're not going to babysit you. We're going to expect you to be an adult, and we're going to treat you like an adult. And that sounds scary to a lot of organizations, but it is, is the only way, as far as I'm concerned, to operate a company. I mean, it, it just there's so many benefits, but that's kind of one of the, one of the foundations. Wow. And then... 
Yeah, go ahead. You probably have some questions well, about that already. <laughs> well, I, I do have some follow-up questions on that. So just on the freedom side of things, this is something I think you're right. What you said kind of made me uh, just just made me smile when you said a lot of people say uh, that they have freedom, but it's not really that's not really true. There's always some unwritten rules or some expectations um, right. when you don't act that way. And I guess a couple follow-up questions um, around that is. One is, do you think that because of the type of agency that you guys are, do you think that this is easier, I guess, when you're working with folks maybe in development than, I guess I'm thinking for like sales, for anybody who's working in sales, I'm wondering if there are some roles that the results only work environment and the complete freedom work better for than roles where uh, maybe it's more collaborative and it's more important to have people working the same hours. And that is actually the number one question. I guess the first question that people always ask, and it's a very fair one. And the answer is no. That's the short answer. <laughs> and so to explain that, um, it's less about the actual mechanics of how people work and more about the philosophy and the, I, I guess, the, the feeling and the, and the way it's approached. So, for example, um, most organizations that are, quote, flexible – they might have some flexibility. People can you know, work different hours or whatever, but the culture is set from the top down still, and you know, the team is expected just to kind of follow along. In a, in a culture that is based on row or like ours or, or whatever, it's really team up, or, or as much as it can be, it's team up, which means that I don't really have to you know, babysit exactly how the support team or the development team works out their schedule to serve clients. They figure that out on their own. We give them outcomes and we say, okay, support team, your goal is to make our clients ridiculously happy. That is your outcome. And if that's the the primary thing you, you put in front of them, you don't have to say, well, you need to work this hour and you need to work these hours and you need to, you know, set up this schedule and this and that. You don't have to do any of that because they focus together on that outcome and they say, okay, here's our goal. How do we get there? And they figure their own schedule out between them and they figure out their own systems and they figure out when it makes sense to collaborate and when it's not needed. They figure all that out. So we have an office where we collaborate. Uh, we have a whiteboard and we have conference tables and we have screens and all the fancy stuff. And we do collaborate. But the difference is I don't have to ask people to collaborate we give them the tools. We say, here's your outcome. And we ask them to use common sense to decide when collaboration makes sense and when it doesn't. And for the most part, they all make great decisions. Right. Does that help at all? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that um, that starts to flesh out the importance of culture and kind of the the importance of bringing on the right people because you can see that freedom. The, I think that, I think that, what I'm what I'm seeing and kind of learning as we're going through this is just the importance of respect and trust and how trust is foundational to everything in business and also in any type of successful culture that if you hire people who are quality and you actually trust them, you can trust their judgment and that they're going to make the decisions and they're not just going to abuse the freedom that you're giving them. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned trust because trust is a big deal. A lot of organizations uh, or the people in organizations organizations, I should say, don't trust their people. And you can see that because they say, well, if I don't, if I can't see this person, you know, working at his desk, I, you know, I, how do I know he's getting his work done? Or if I can't see, you know, so-and-so working, how do I know she's delivering what I'm expecting? And 
Well, my answer is it's because they're getting the work done and because you trust them. And if you don't trust somebody that's working in your team, they shouldn't be working at your company. That's kind of the bottom line. Yep, exactly. Another concern that people have had, so we've talked about Row a couple times on the podcast before, and another common um, issue, and, and as someone who's managing a team myself, this is something that I struggle with, is how do I lay, how do I define the results? Um, like, what are the appropriate results? How do I set those goals for them? How do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's something that we're not perfect at. Um, I don't know anybody that's you know, got it completely figured out, but we have some pretty good guidelines that we've, we have figured out. So a lot of times a, a I guess I wouldn't say a fluffy, but more of a soft but direct goal uh, makes sense or a direct outcome makes sense, like the one I gave for support. That's one example, and we can measure that. So we, you know, we tell our support team, your outcome is to make our clients ridiculously happy. And so we could attach all sorts of guidelines and rules like, oh, that means you know, response time is this, and you know, surveys have to be this, and you know, we have to get this kind of feedback, and blah, blah. We could do all that. But we don't have to because we give them that one outcome and they've decided what that means. And they have figured out that, well, our response time is 24 hours or less, preferably 12 hours. Uh, they measure it using Zendesk to get you know, customer surveys to make sure our satisfaction rate is uh, 100% or, or pretty darn close to it. Um, there's a system they've developed for escalating things that maybe I need to call a client if something comes up. So they've, they've put in place all these systems on their own attached to that one outcome. And the same thing goes with inbound marketing. So if, we're, if we have an inbound marketing client, we don't necessarily have to go into detail right off the bat and say, well, we have to have this many leads and this, 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 and blah, blah, and all these metrics. What we can say is we want to make sure that our outcome is that you know, this client is happy and they're reaching their business goals and they feel like they're getting value from us and they're growing. And those are kind of the general outcomes. And then the team figures out what that means. Well, maybe it means this conversion rate, that conversion rate, what's all this, you know, get to and the mechanics kind of come afterward. So that's kind of how we approach different organizational goals. And it's going to be different for each department. So, you know, for writing, it might be one thing for sales. It might be something else for um, marketing strategy versus support versus development. A lot of it really centers around client satisfaction though. I mean, that's an easy one. A lot of times all we have to do is say, what, put ourselves in our client's shoes, what's going to make them really happy? And let's just attach everything to that one outcome. And everyone rallies around that outcome together and figures it out together. Right. That makes sense. So you're kind of starting with, uh, I don't know if fuzzy goal is the right term for it, but something of a fuzzy goal and then giving people the autonomy and authority to, to set, here's what it's going to build the system, here's what it's going to take to achieve that goal. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Cool. Well, that's that's awesome. I think that there's a lot of mechanics here, Michael. That, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I think that what every what everyone out there wants is a cut and dry black and white system. When the reality is that every situation is a little bit different. Uh, there's a lot of gray in the world that we live in. Um, so, so I think it's I think what everyone wants to know is like how exactly do I flesh this out and, and what are the the numbers that I need to be setting for my team as these goals. But I think that the core principle, kind of the underlying um, cultural narrative that you have here is that's where it all starts. It all starts with like the human relationships, the principles that you lay out and how you're going to treat your team and then giving them the authority and autonomy to figure it out. 
on a case-by-case basis as they go or um, at least specific to their role in your organization. Yeah, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, as you're adding people to the team and you're growing, one of the questions I like to ask folks is how do you maintain the level of quality and the spin web standards as you continue to grow the team? Well, another great question. And, excuse me, a lot of it, I'm I'm probably going to sound very um, redundant here, but a lot of it comes down to the people. And I've noticed there's a lot of, I guess there's a couple different perspectives. I see a lot of times I see uh, business owners approach their business as a system. And there's nothing wrong with it. I think there's a lot of value to that. And maybe, you know, maybe that's right for them. And they approach it as a system so that they can, you know, unplug people and plug new people in and, the people are components of the business, and you can still treat people well, but approach your business as as kind of a machine with you know with I guess cogs or with you know plugins or whatever, and those people are you plug in and out, and that's one way of approaching it. And I just like to approach it differently. I just like to approach it from the standpoint of I surround myself with the very smartest people that will tell me the truth. And together as a team, we're going to figure all that out. And I think one of the things that I – I saw a quote from Richard Branson, I believe, recently. And I forget the exact quote, but uh, it was something along the lines of, you know, a lot of organizations say the customer comes first, and that's backwards. Actually, the employees come first because if you treat your employees well, they will take care of the customers. Yep. And so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we have to worry about, like, you know, quality control and all this stuff – you know, we treat our team, or at least I think we treat our team, you know, very well and with respect and with this common understanding that, you know, we want to approach the world with, with respect and kindness and, and serving uh, others in this, this attitude of service. And it just kind of happens. I mean, it's, I feel like I'm, you know, going to disappoint the spreadsheet people that want all these mechanics and formulas and <laughs> all, the, all the systems for quality, but you know what? We have systems for quality, but the team has figured that out. They've put together their own checklist. They've they've come up with what they need, and so by creating an environment where your team can flourish and feel empowered and feel like they have the authority to make the decisions that need to be made uh, to achieve quality, it it happens. And yeah. again, a lot of times you see a top down approach where okay, I'm the owner and I'm going to create this system and push it down. And this system for quality control is going to be pushed down to you. And this system for, you know, this or that is going to be pushed down to you. And that can work. But how much better is it if you say, okay, team, here is our overarching outcome. And it's really focused on service. You know, why don't you guys figure out what works best for you? And then they're going to own that system. Then they're not borrowing your system and running with it and, and hoping it works. They're creating their own system that they own. And then they're empowered. Absolutely. It's the same thing as as we've hit on and, and learned so many times on this podcast from other agency owners uh, talking about dealing with clients and just the importance of getting buy-in from a client. And I think the same thing is true with your internal team. If you're pushing something down on people, the likelihood of buy-in happening is significantly less than than if they're kind of crafting that and coming up with a lot of that themselves. And everybody wants to discover the answer for themselves. So even if you even if the system winds up being the same, the process is really important that you use to get there. And if they can be involved in that process, that creates a lot more buy-in and obviously a lot more engagement um, as right. you as you have that in place. Well, awesome. So Michael, just uh, kind of one last 
big question. There might be a couple of follow-up questions here. I don't know, but um, for the agency owner <clears throat> who's kind of there, they're in this inbound community, but they're heavy on the website or that's kind of their background is on the website. And they're trying to figure out right now um, what it takes to really grow both financially in terms of their client base and the projects they're able to bring in, but also their team and their culture. And they haven't figured out how to add people. What's kind of the, excuse me, what's kind of the best first step for that agency or what's the process that, that those people should go through when they're thinking about adding to the team and growing their agency? Sure. Well, my caveat is there are other people you've probably interviewed that are much better at this than I am when it comes to deciding, you know, when to hire and scaling out. So I think we have a lot figured out, but I'm certainly not the expert or don't have it completely figured out. Um, in terms of how to how to scale up, though, um, I'm a I'm kind of old fashioned when it comes to money. I don't believe in debt. I, our business is debt free. Uh, we you know reinvest and, and base our growth on profits. We don't want to you know take investors or borrow money or get lines of credit. That's just not us. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not us. You know, I, I just I like to operate from a place of cash and. And so really, I, I'm very slow to expand, and it probably drives my team crazy sometimes because we're always really busy, and like, like all agencies, we're swamped, you know, we're you know, crazy busy, and clients all the time, and work all the time, and that's just kind of agency life, you know? <laughs> so, um, but we're pretty slow to hire because uh, we want to just make sure that we're growing very slowly and steadily. So I guess, to answer your question, my advice for agency owners is I, I would avoid debt and I would uh, reinvest as much as possible to create enough um, profit and enough cash so you can comfortably hire and take those risks. I think it's much more risky to, you know, to take on debt or to, um, and to not operate from a place of, of having the cash there. So that means you're probably going to have to grow slower. A lot of agency owners you know, see this um, you know, kind of magical world of rapid growth and scaling out really quickly, and it looks really sexy and kind of exciting. But I don't know. I don't think that looks very exciting. I think it looks stressful. Right. And I saw an article recently from uh, one of the owners of Thirty Seven or Basecamp, rather, and it was an awesome article. I, to, I forget exactly where it was. I think it was on Medium, and he was talking about how you know the the market today doesn't respect the boring, slow growth, profitable business. We always look for the shiny, you know, San Francisco. Uh, startups and the the next big app or the next big venture capital thing and really you know that's that's just not for me that's just not what I want to do I want to grow slowly steadily profitably debt free and that means we're going to have to wait sometimes we're going to have to say you know what we're going to you know work with freelancers for a while before we can hire somebody but in the long run it's going to be healthier for our business so I'm not sure if that answers your question but that's kind of where my brain led me yeah <laughs> that helpful no that that does and i think uh i believe that i read the same post by and i'm not sure whether it was by jason or by david from david yes um but just talking about like you don't need to own the entire world like be satisfied with a little bit less in order to have some kind of balance um and that was i mean that's just one of the points that he kind of brought out but just growth isn't isn't the <laughs> you know, rapid growth isn't the most, I guess the penultimate goal in life. Um, so I thought that, that was a great post and that's something we can link up in the show notes as well. Yeah. But funny that you bring that up. I, I did just see that. I think it was on medium. So we'll, we'll grab the link to that, but yeah, it was great. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, Michael really appreciate your time. Um, 
jumping on and just talking with us about culture, your team, the SpinWeb story. I know that you've got, obviously, you've got SpinWeb Radio, which goes out every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Is that right? Yes, it is every Friday at 10 a.m. It's uh, If you go to spinweb.net slash radio, uh, you can subscribe via iTunes there. You can listen live as well. Awesome. So I've tuned in to a couple of those episodes so far and am now subscribed. So excited to to stick with that. Um, what's the awesome. best place you've got? Obviously, you do some speaking. You're running SpinWeb. What's the best place for folks to connect with you online? Uh, for me personally, uh, my website is michaelreynolds.com, and that has uh, a little bit about me, uh, all the places to contact me. That's probably the best way for me personally. And then for SpinWeb, we are at spinweb.net, and I'm easy to find there too. So those two places are the, the best place to start probably. Awesome. Well, we'll include those links in the show notes, which will be at doingbound.com slash podcast. Michael, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Greg. It was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.